Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. evening, my dear listeners, it is I, William Powell, the KDOC, that's King of DC Media, otherwise known as Mr. Ubiquitous, that's the man who is everywhere. We've got a packed show tonight. We kick things off with Danielle Lewis from General Hospital, the Christian filmmaker, Sophia L. Cherry Leon, and later tonight, Dan Ross from the Ninjas vs. Trilogy, and William Catt from the Greatest American Hero, very good show from the early 80s, yes indeed and director Chris Foligno. They have a film called Sparks, which premieres tomorrow night out in Ashburn, Virginia. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So before we get into the show, let's take a break for these commercial messages. Actors, are you tired of disinterested agents, low-quality producers, and massive cattle calls? Well, it's time to take charge of your career. It's time to build your brand and own your future. Every actor, new or experienced, is a brand. And learning to leverage your talent, craft, and resources is the ultimate key to expanding your opportunities. You need Actors Brand, a series of ongoing workshops designed to empower, fortify, and unleash your potential as a successful performer. Learn more about our upcoming free seminar on Sunday, March 23rd by visiting www.actorsbrand.com forward slash inside acting. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And the next workshop uh, will be this Sunday, March 23rd. And you can check that out. Uh, Let me 
put an announcement out there for my buddy Stuart Brodian. He's been on the show before, very talented individual. He's got a web series, uh, Double or Nothing, if you go to com, You can check him out there. He's uh, always looking for money to raise for his projects. So, again, the website is www.doubleornutin.com. Okay. Remember that Inside Acting is brought to you by DC Actors Examiner, where you'll find many great interviews of actors, including this week, my interview with Andrea Marie, an upcoming actress in the DMV area. But my first guest tonight is Danielle Lewis, who has appeared in General Hospital, Two and a Half Men, Heard of Dixie, so let me go ahead and bring her on in. She's been holding in. Good evening. Good evening. Hello. How are you? Fantastic. Fantastic. So where are you now? Out in uh, sunny L.A.? I am in sunny L.A. traffic, yes. Okay. There's a beast out here. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, over here in D.C., we had a, another little mini blizzard, and we're, we're due for another one next week. So it's quite a, oh, quite a contrast, quite a contrast. Exactly. So I, know, I know you started your career as a dancer, so how did you transition to acting? Um, it was very interesting. I was dancing, and part of it I um, – my dance agent um, uh, moved from the dance agency and he went to a commercial agency, the Daniel Hoff agency, who I am still with to this day. Um, and so I, you know, actually wanted to get into the, um, the commercial side. I went and um, I was sent on a commercial audition and I got to, um, I got to the avail level, which means that it's between you and maybe one other or two people that they're deciding uh-huh. on for a commercial. And so, the, you know, the commercial agency picked me up. And then, um, so I was just doing commercials, auditioning while I was still dancing. And then after I uh, toured with Paul McCartney, it was kind of, you know, a highlight and uh, I was like, what, okay, well, what do I want to do now? I'm one of the biggest artists in the world. And a friend of mine who we became really close, she was, um, she's an actress, and she had been taking classes, and she said, you should come to my, um, to my uh, acting class. And I went and checked it out, and I was like, yeah, this is, this is where I want to be. And I started taking class, and, and, and it felt right. It felt natural, a very natural transition for me. And I realized it was something that I did in my heart and wanted to do, which just wasn't something I originally, as a, a child growing up, didn't see myself doing that because the opportunities weren't there. So, yeah, that's that's sort of how it yeah. turned out. And so you've uh, worked pretty steadily over the years. Now, I was very curious about the audition process that brought you to working on a show like General Hospital. How did you get that gig? Um, interestingly enough, I didn't go into audition for that part. I had been um, taking a casting director workshops, and so I took a, a workshop with um, one of the casting directors, 
And she liked my work. And a couple months later, I got a call from my manager saying that she wanted to um, book me for this role. And, you know, I worked on the, you know, had a couple episodes on, and that's, that's what it was. So going to casting director workshops does work. Absolutely, absolutely. You got TVI Studios. You got a lot of, a lot of good uh, studios out there. So the same question for two and a half men. How did how did you get that one? Um, that was a while ago. I actually, I got that through dancing. Um, it was uh, the role was a backup singer dancer for a, the John Lovett character. So, okay. the, I mean, the show weighs quite a lot. So, um, uh, um, how did I? Yeah, I, I believe I did audition for that, and it got the role. And and you know, it was a great. It was a lot of fun working on that set. And John Lovitz was a, a hoot, of course, as you can imagine. So <laughs> that's how that happened. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, any uh, funny stories from the set of Two and a Half Men? Two and a half men were their funny stories. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if there was time for it to be a really funny kind of thing because you know you got there and we learned the choreography there that morning, and so then it was just we learned it, and then it was a lot of sitting around and waiting. Um, I don't know if there were any funny stories. It's just I can't really remember. Uh, just laughing at the cast and just you know they were just having a lot of fun and we were having fun as well so that's good good. so how uh, how long did it take you to uh do an episode um i mean uh i mean that episode actually takes you know a couple few days to actually shoot um the the role that I did, we did it in one day, and it was about, um, it, was, it was a full day. It was a full day. It was an eight-hour day, yeah. Hmm. So I want you to walk me through a, a typical week of a working actor like yourself, like talk about the, the number of auditions you might do, the the number of shows you might be uh, taping in a particular week. Just walk me through a week. Um, I mean, that's hard to say. It, it varies from hmm. day to day and week to week, uh, depending on, you know, the season. Right now it's pilot season, so, you know, there are a lot of auditioning auditions happening. Um, for instance, you know, I had an audition early this morning, uh, at 10 a.m., which I am not much of a morning person, so. Um, and then I I was going to a meeting with my agent, and on the way to the meeting with the agent, I got a last-minute call for actually a print audition. So things like that happen often where you get a last-minute or, you know, most auditions you get the day before, if not a couple of days before, which is, you know, uh, preferable. Um but, you know, for a typical week, uh, I would say, you know, just start off, you know, going through the breakdown in the morning um, and seeing basically what's out there, picking, you know, specific days of the week uh, to make calls, 
um, reaching out to you know other you know people that I've met you know previously during the week, um, calling calling you know a casting director or a production office where you know you're just reaching out to people saying hey what's going on keeping up a relationship but you know looking for a gig. Um, and then whatever auditions are coming up, you know, you're, you're pretty much, you're ready for it. And um, what else? And always, you know, staying in shape, working out, keeping, you know, your energy up. So, it, I, I mean, it's hard for me to say a typical week. Um, sometimes I'm very structured. <laughs> and then, like, particularly really lately, I have not been. So it's hard for me to right now tell you a very typical week. Um, so yeah. Okay. Well, Danielle, you mentioned something that uh, that piqued my interest, and this is something that's that's actors we that's get beat up on all the time. You said keeping your energy up, keeping your energy. What are some techniques that you use to keep your energy up? Um, I for me, I work out. Um, often I try to work out five to six days a week. Um, I prefer to do it in the morning um, just so that, I, like I said, I'm not necessarily a morning person, so it, it can take me a long time to, like, get moving and doing those things. So I like to, you know, get up and make myself put on some workout clothes and make myself go and work out. Sometimes I slow myself down if I start, you know, going through emails or, God forbid, get on Facebook or Twitter, then that will suck so much of my time away so I try not to do those things. <laughs> yeah. I'm not always I'm not I'm usually not very successful at it. But, you know, um I right now I am training for a half marathon in April. So I've been doing, you know, runs during the week and then do a long run on the weekends. Um but I you know, it, it's important to just be active and fit because a lot of times when you are working, you're working very long hours, and uh, a lot of it is sitting around and waiting. And so you just don't want to just be lethargic and at the time and try to keep your energy going. So it's important to be active and getting cardio in and getting, you know, yoga in, which is, you know, mind and body for me. Um, I would like to take more dance classes than I have been lately. Um, I think it's just important to be fit and ready for whatever. Um, for instance, the audition I had this morning was for a pilot. So it was a regular, and a uh, part of the the um, breakdown was, you know, must have some sort of combat skills or, you know, be physically fit. So for me, and maybe that's just because that's my sort of type and because I come from a dance background, it's important for me to just always be fit and be ready and have the energy to sustain and be able to be on set for a long period of time and not have my energy completely sucked out of me. Yeah, and be able so to go. Combat experience, to... huh? So are you at liberty to say the name of the show? Uh, I actually the, there's not a whole lot of information they were, they were giving us. It's kind of unwrapped. Okay. So I was even asking my manager, "Can you give me a little more details about what's going on with the show?" Like I, and they were <laughs> like, "No, the casting director is not giving out much information. There's nothing on the side. It had my name on it. It's like very hush hush, I guess, for whatever reason. Mm, yeah. But it has to That's do with the way it goes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So what, what, what's your favorite medium to perform in? Do you like TV better or movies? Uh, oh, that's a tough question. Um, I don't know. I just I like. I don't, I don't know if I like anyone better than the other. Um, it's really about the role that you get, and what, you know, being able to first of all have fun on set or challenge yourself in some sort of way, and you know, be working with other actors who are challenging you or pushing you, or you know, you just bond with or have a chemistry with, and you know, and can elevate your own craft. I think it's more about not necessarily the medium, but the material for me. Okay, okay. And do you find that uh, TV shows, do you find yourself feeling rushed? Like there's like, you get maybe one, one maybe two takes. Does that ever frustrate you? Yeah, I mean, especially for something like a soap opera, they uh-huh. move fast. I mean, like, when I did General Hospital, I um, I was in and out in like four hours. And I got wow. on set, and you know, and usually you have time. You're like, oh, you know, I have time. I'll go and see what's in craft services and wait for them to call me back to wardrobe or makeup. And, you know, you have time. Honey, we did a... Um, <laughs> We did a, a rehearsal, and I got called in, you know, to go to wardrobe and hair. My my, I you know went into hair, and as a African American woman, you kind of want to go with most of your hair mostly done. And they just retouch really it or you know fancy it up a little bit. Um, so anyway, thank God I did do that. And I was not even, my makeup was hardly even done. And they're like, okay, they're asking for me on set. And I was like, oh, wait, what's happening? <laughs> so it, it moved very How many pages quickly. did you have to do? Um, it was about, it wasn't a lot. It was like maybe four. Um, but it was, it was a very fast pace and you're on. And I was just amazed. Like even while I was in the makeup chair, I was watching some of the scenes being filmed and the amount of dialogue and and, and, and action that they have that they get on a daily basis and you just have to be on it and just go with it. And it was just, it was a great experience and to you know, learn from those folks is, is fun. Hmm. But yeah, um, and even for myself, I wrote in, um, and produced and starred in a, a web series that I'm now, uh, you know, we're in editing phases. And... Uh, you know, didn't have a big budget, so you only you do only get you know a couple of takes. You only do get a couple of chances. So a part of that is very much it's preparation. So if you have the preparation under you, you know you want to be able to do it in only one or two takes, or maybe three. Um, ideally, I mean, there obviously you're going to work with the directors who like to do fifty takes. You know, so that and you have to have the stamina and whatnot to do that as well, but I think you should always just be prepared as a performer, as an actor, as an artist, to only be able to do one or two takes. I think that, and that's just preparation. It's like a baseball player, you know, like like a hitter. Like, I think the difference between the pros 
and the semi-pros and the amateurs. I think that the, I could be wrong, but it seems to me like the pros can nail it the first take. The first take, maybe the second. I mean, I've observed mm-hmm. that it, typically it, it takes about, the average person I think it takes like, from what I've seen, it's like about three takes. But from hearing you talk, it sounds like in the pros, it's really, you really got to, you got really got to bring it. I mean, you really got to bring it, and it's got to, that energy's got to be coiled up. And that, that's why I'm, I, I harp on what you, know, what you said about energy. You, know, you got to have that energy and that preparation to where, when you know, you know, you know say camera speed rolling action, it's like boom. You know, you're there. You just get there, like right away. Absolutely. I was trained by Aaron Spicer, and you know, he really he's worked with some of the biggest. And you know, he talks about. It's not just, you know, the art of acting. It's also the business side of it. And like right. I said, being prepared and being able to be on set with, you know, some of the biggest stars, movie stars out there. And people are spending a lot of money on these films, and there's a lot of pressure. And so you have to be able to go on set and deliver. And no one has time to wait for you to warm up to get to a scene. Nobody's yeah. waiting for you to do that. You have to be ready to go. Right. So that can that can be tricky because you know if if it's hurry up and wait, you can get lulled to sleep. I mean, <laughs> mentally, if you're not careful, if I mean, if you're sitting around hours and hours, it seems like you you like you say you gotta you gotta be able to to just go from zero to sixty pretty quickly there. Well, yeah, but you you know you have to talk to the first ADs and whatever PAs about giving you you know you will get a heads up of, you know as far as time frame because a lot of times they're like okay we need you now and but you're still waiting once you get on set another good ten or so minutes to actually do something so it's, right. you're not just jumping out of the you know trailer and going a lot of the times um, but that's a part of you know, just taking responsibility and, and 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 aggressively, not in a rude way, just you know, finding out what's going on and how much time you can, you need, or whatever, and taking that preparation, that moment for you, for your own self. Yeah. Now, what's your casting archetype? In other words, what do you usually get cast as? Yeah, what what do you usually get cast as? Your type? (laughs) Do you Um, have one? You ask it's the girlfriend or the wife, and it usually has the word sassy in it. (laughs) The word has what? The word sassy in it. Oh, Um, okay. A sassy one, are you? Okay. I don't understand why people <laughs> cast. I mean, that's also a <clears throat> most of the time when you get a breakdown for a role for an African American female, it, the word "sassy" is nine times out of ten in there. <laughs> so I, I think it's funny. It's always a funny comment to me. Um, hmm. But I usually get, you know, the white collar um, type roles. Uh-huh. So, yeah. White collar 
Not not necessarily girl next door, but um, it's in between that the infidel girl next door type of role. Okay, okay, fantastic. Tell me about your web series. Who do you play? What is it about? Uh, well, it's called Work Living Fears, and it's a it's very um, semi autobiographical. It's about a young lady named Jade who uh, gets stumped by her boyfriend, loses a job, and um, has to you know she's in this place. And so she gets with her best friend, and they end up opening up a dance studio that caters to adults. And so you kind of get all these crazy characters in an adult dance studio. <laughs> so it's about Jay's life juggling the studio and, you know, finding love and and, and her relationship with, you know, uh, Sienna, who is her roommate and business partner and other folks at the dance studio. So it's it's a comedy, obviously. <laughs> um, it's pretty fun. And um, so it will be coming to you soon. Work living fears. But you have to do it. It's work, W-E-R-K. And you have to have a snap at the end. You have to go work, living this. to dance or thing. Okay, so it's going to be out on uh, Vimeo, uh, YouTube, or where? Um, for now, uh, we're on, we're, it's looking to be on a YouTube channel or our own channel, and we're talking to a couple folks about distribution, so that is that's to be determined. Okay, okay, well, hey, we'll definitely look for it. That's uh, that's very good that you're able to write your own material. That's uh, that's the way to go. Yeah, well, you kind of have to make your own way. <laughs> I'm doing. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So, um, some years ago, apparently, you worked on a film uh, starring a Mr. Eddie Murphy, a Nutty Professor. Who'd you play in that one? Oh, no, no, that I was not in that. For some reason, I, uh, that was not me. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, All right. Hey, you should have took credit for it. <laughs> yeah, I, was I have a very common funny... name, so some things sometimes it gets mixed up and I'm like, wait, that wasn't me. Well, Danielle, that was very honest of you. Yeah, I was going to ask you some funny stories from the set. You could have made one up. See, did some fiction. I worked with Charlie Murphy on the set of Lottery Ticket. I don't know if that counts. I saw that. Yeah, Lottery <laughs> Ticket. That was an interesting movie. It's uh, been a while since I've seen it, but uh, I saw that in the credits, too. And uh, it's amazing how much they look alike. So how how was it uh, like uh, working on that set? Oh, that was that was great. That was a lot of fun. Um, I was, you know, got to work with Charlie Murphy a lot, so he was cracking me up the whole time. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about that is it was supposed to be the in the film. It's the hottest day of the year, and so we're wearing these. I was wearing this little jumpers, clux short skirt thing with halter top and sandals. Yet it was like about 30 degrees in Atlanta that day. And I ended up getting sick. I went home with cold. Oh. But yeah. 
mm. show business. We should have brought a blanket. <laughs> yeah, I remember the jury watching some of the scenes, and they had to take out, you know, out in post. You know, you could see people's breasts because it was cold, but it's supposed to be the hottest day of the year, which is really funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Wow, that's... Uh... And there's a... Uh... What's the show? Heart of Dixie. Who do you play in that one? I play a character named Maybelline on Heart of Dixie, and she owns a, um, a bakery. Um, and, uh, yeah, she gets to serve the town some nice treats. Uh, I'm, I'm on a couple episodes this season. Um, the one already aired, and then the second one will be airing. I don't have the exact date for that, but that should be next month because the show has gone, went on hiatus, and so it's coming back, uh, I believe, this Monday, which was, yeah, so four weeks from Monday should be the next episode that I'm in. So uh, yeah. in your past, have you done stage? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's where I came from. Um, as a dancer, I uh, performed with uh, dance uh, dance companies um, with Lula Washington Dance Theater and a few others. So, you know, I did that. I've done a lot of other theater work as an actress. And I performed with a group called the Brown Bettys, which is a burlesque group based here in Los Angeles. And we've been doing that since 2005. And there's a, a actual stage production called Harlem's. Um, I'm sorry, yeah, it's called. Excuse me, it's called Harlem's Night, a cabaret story. So that's a full, you know, singing and dancing, think Chicago meets cabaret type of um, piece. So I've been doing that for a while. Oh yeah, I've done I've done a few things in theater. Hmm. I mean, you know, I, I love uh, live theater. I would like to, you know, even do more. So I'm looking to at least. I always want to do at least one theater piece, one play a year, if not more. So yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's great that you're grounded in that. That's um, not everybody can say that you're grounded in theater. That's that's fantastic. That's the way to go. And I know there was a there was a you know the business show business can be very fickle because uh, I'm aware that uh, some years ago, well, a couple of years ago, there was a TV series Moms, and you played says so you played a wife here. Now is that uh, I'm not familiar with that show. Is that still on? Well, that is a web series. Um... A friend of mine, Sadika Muhammad, she, again, she's another actress who, you know, was not waiting for Hollywood, but, uh, you know, bringing um, projects to Hollywood. And so she created a series based on her life called Moms, about a group of, you know, young moms and, you know, their their, um, relationships and finding love themselves because she's a single mother on the show. so that is a web series. It's online. You can, you know, go and go to YouTube and check it out. Moms is is available now. And I just won a, a bunch of awards at um, Pan African Film Festival and a couple other film festivals. So yeah, 
and starring um, two of my friends, Sadika, uh, Kina Ferguson. Um, I'm blanking on everything right now. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's really funny. It's a great show and good cast, and hope you guys enjoy. All right. Okay. All right, so we're coming near the end of the, uh, the segment here. So uh, talk about uh, what's coming up next for you and uh, how fans can uh, follow your career. Um, what's coming up next is an episode of uh, Heart of Dixie is coming up soon. Um, and I have a movie that is in post-production. I just got a call, so I'm waiting to hear about release dates for this. For, it's called Climbs of the Mind. And um, and I, you know, that can be found on Facebook at Danielle Lewis and on Twitter at Danielle Lewis, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-L-E-W-I-S. And uh, Instagram, I'm Danielle Lewis, so D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-L-E-W-S, no I. And <laughs> pretty good about keeping people up to date and informing and all those great things. Yeah, you, you said Instagram. That's one that uh, I have not I have not used yet. I confess, uh, I think uh, a lot of people love it, but that's one that I that's why I chuckled a little bit there. So, um, Danielle, it was a pleasure having you on the show. I definitely want to have you come back sometime. We'll talk about your web series and uh, all these fantastic shows you're on. And uh, I think you were a very good guest. All right, thank you. Thank you. Okay, have a great night and a best week. Okay, you too. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And my next guest is Cynthia Cherry Leon, and she is a director, and she did a film called The Basement, which is all about the rapture. And we're going to bring her in in a minute. Uh, and I'm going to have a quick musical interlude, and we'll bring her right on. So just hang tight. Okay, so we're back. So as I said before the, the quick break there, that uh, we're bringing on Cynthia L. Sherrod, oh, I'm sorry, Cynthia L. Sherry Leon, a filmmaker who was shot and is in the process of refining uh, the Christian movie called The Basement, which is all about the rapture. So she's been holding. So let me bring her on in. Good evening, Cynthia. Hi, William. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. Yeah, so I want to just jump right in and uh, ask you about what inspired The Basement. Well, um, I was uh, actually, I've always been a playwright. I've done a lot of uh, various plays. I've written about six plays that have been produced and directed uh, locally. And I actually wrote The Basement as a play rather than a film. 
And that's what, where I got the idea from, basically about a bunch of young people who were in the basement of a home after the rapture happened. But then after that, it kind of expanded into the wide array of characters that you saw um, through the screening that it just kind of morphed into this, this, um, this story, this narrative, this film narrative about the rapture. So it was actually from, from a play idea that I had. Hmm. Yeah, because I, I, um, I failed to mention in the intro there, I did have a, a chance to actually watch uh, your, your cut of the film. and. Mm-hmm. And when I was watching it, it did seem like the the third act did kind of feel like a, like a play. It felt like a play, and it felt like as though the the first and, and second acts were sort of like the backstory of that play. That's that's sort of what it felt like when I watched it. Right, right. It was kind of um, it it moved in stages. I felt like um, the actual film as it ended up being was was more of um, a, a, a forward movement. There was um, a discovery about uh, each character, and the culmination of that took place in the basement. So to me, it was the first part of the movie was more the backstory, setting up the characters, uh, what their lives were like before this event happened. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that uh, you had this whole theme of, in fact, you had a, actually a verse. It was a Matthew 7, I believe the 22nd verse about everyone that talks Pride, about Lord, Jesus Lord. is not going to heaven. And that's a, that was a Pride. major heavy theme in the film. Yes. Yes, it was. And, you know, it's funny because um, the first play that I actually produced and directed was called The Meeting Place, and it was, it was um, basically about what would you do if you met Jesus on the street? What would you do if you mm. met him at a bus stop? Would you know him? And so we had these different scenarios of people who met Jesus who actually had on jeans and a leather jacket, but he was Jesus. You know, he was the incarnate of God, and um it was just the way it played out and their relationships. And I always felt like I wanted to tell the truth. You know, in Christian films, um, the basement to me was truth. It's, it's how people would actually react if the rapture happened. And I like to, to think that we are, were as true to that as we could be without being uh, gratuitous you know, in the in the violence or being, you know, sexually explicit, um, we kind of pushed the envelope a little. But we uh, wrote about characters we felt that were real and relevant uh, to today. And, like, the character that you really liked was uh, Julian, and he was this rebellious young person, and it was just superbly played by Patrick Van. I mean, it was just amazing yeah. what he did with that role. Yeah, yeah. Where did where did you get Patrick Van? I mean, that that brother really killed it. He killed. He killed. He didn't kill. He murdered. He exterminated every scene he was in. I mean, where did you get that brother? That's what you said. You said when I asked you what what scene did you like, he said you said every one that uh, Julian was in. So yeah. uh, what actually happened? <laughs> this was so funny, uh, William. Is that? Uh, my son, who is the other part of JCL Productions, he does all the cinematography, he went yeah. to our church one night and saw Patrick in a church skit. 
It's just a skit. And we yeah. didn't have anyone for the role of Julian at the time. So my son comes home and he says, Mom, <laughs> he says, I found Julian. I said, no. He goes, yes, this young man is amazing. And sight unseen, I trusted my son's instincts, Jared's instincts, and pushed, I mean, all of a sudden done, I spoke with him. I don't even believe that I auditioned him. I mean, that's how sure we were. And, and that's how sure uh, Jared was. And once we got him on set, the first scene we were just talking about it was the scene in the cleaners when he was yelling at the girl. And yeah. he was brilliant. He was natural. And the thing I wanted to do with the first film that we did this time, The Basement, we wanted the actors to be as, as true to that character as possible because uh, we were a low-budget production company. We, we you know, didn't have the funds to cast professional actors in every single role. So what we did is we cast people who were as close to that character as possible in temperament, in action, uh, just, you know, everything, voice, everything. So that's how we came to have Rhonda, who played um, uh, the sassy, <laughs> uh, Wanda, uh-huh. Breedlove, all the other characters were kind of like a, a hand-in-glove fit for each one of the actors. Uh, Michael Joyner was pretty much the only professional actor that we had hired for the movie. Yeah, I was going to ask you, how you, you get, how you, uh, I know he's one of the top Christian actors. How did you get him? That was a miracle. <laughs> Actually, uh, my pastor in the church, knew Mike Joyner from when he was a pastor at the church in uh, Missouri. So he says, hey, I got this friend. You know, maybe he can take a look at your at your film, at your screenplay. And I said, sure. And so, um, you know, we went, uh, went through and I was writing the film and the screenplay. And um, later on, as I, we were going and we, are, we were auditioning people for the part of Sean, just one after the other, nobody was right. Uh, it got to be that we actually auditioned a SAG actor from Texas. He sent in his audition tape. He wasn't quite right. And we were beginning to wonder if we were going to find Sean. And then I went back to the pastor at my church and I said, look, you know, maybe I can ask my joiner. And he's like, oh, no, he's got three movies coming up. And that was at the end of 2012. So I said, oh, wow. But then I felt like the Lord really impressed on my heart you know, email him because my pastor gave me his email. So I emailed him, and he was kind of like, well, you know, talk to my agent, and he did give me her information. And so I sent her an email, and she was kind of like, ah, you know, because here we were. We were a small production company, first-time film. And so if an actor, I believe an actor really has to believe in the project um, in in the vision to take something like this because Mike Joyner took a chance on doing this, not knowing anybody but his friend who was not even directly involved in the project. So right. uh, I sent the agent a treatment. She said, "Well, send me a treatment from the pl- uh, from the from the uh, movie," and I did. And he loved it. He read it, and she came back to me, and it was like night and day. She was like, this is something that he he could really do. So from that point, we started preparing for him to come. 
uh, since this was my first film, I really wanted uh, someone who had um, more experience than I did as far as directing. So we hired a director to come in, Gary Volker, to come in and direct uh, the bulk of Mike's scene in the basement. And because we had Mike Joyner for a whirlwind five days, William, that was it. For the first time he mm. came, five days to film all of his scenes, to get all of his shots done in five days. Um, we were told it was pretty impossible. We had to do probably about a good 75 hours worth of shooting in five days. We actually got his shots done in the five days. We brought him back like a year later, but that was from to do some additional um, scenes that we had, I had actually written into the movie and to also do some reshoots for some of the scenes in the basement and in, in the uh, church um, hallway. But we actually, I mean, I, I just praise God that, you know, everything happened the way it happened. We were able to get Mike Joyner. He is actually, IMDB rated him the number one Christian actor in the nation. So that, mm. that was just pretty cool. <laughs> Impressive. And I think what it was was he really liked the story. He really liked the character. Tell that. Great performance. Now, how did you, speaking of performances, how did you get such great performances? Because it just seems like everybody was on point. It just Everybody was on point. How, how did you do that? Well, you know, for the most part, the people that were in the film, I knew from the plays that I had directed. So I kind of knew what they could do. And when I was writing The Basement, I actually had, when I was writing, I could see certain actors playing that character, so I knew that they would be right for that character. There wasn't a lot, to be honest, William, that I had to do because they were already there. They were like 95% there and present as that character. Um, there were some people that came later that kind of God revealed to me, oh, this is the person, and it worked out wonderfully. I mean, there were some times where to get a performance out of uh, an actor where I felt like there was kind of like a wall there, uh, took a, it, it takes patience, it takes time. And since we were all, we all have pretty much full-time jobs, so we would film on the weekends which was pretty funny. So we would film 12 to 14 hours a day on the weekends, and we had to be efficient. We had to be proficient in what we were doing, and the actors had to be prepared. We had to have our shot list done. Everything had to be done. But when, when it was time for a character or, or an actor to get into that place, and maybe it was a little bit of a struggle, um, number one, we would pray. <laughs> number yeah. two, um, <laughs> it was just a matter of re-explaining the scene. You know, what do you want? What's your objective in the scene? What What are you feeling on the inside? And the other thing I feel, William, is sometimes in Christian film, people are afraid to go there. Do you know what I mean? To to go mm -hmm. to that dark place. You know, to to kind of um, throw off that that. Um, I guess that veneer or that, um, yeah, veneer. you know, yeah, and to really yeah. just go to that place where you don't want to go as a Christian, but in order to win someone else to Christ, to portray a character and be convincing, 
um, you have to go there in your mind, in, in, in your emotions. And that's what I wanted them. And sometimes what I would do is I would step in and I would do the role. And I would say, this is, this is what I want you to do. Because I learned okay. that from doing uh, theater. I would go and I, I would play every role. And I would say, this is, this is what you do. <laughs> so, um, and if, if they saw that the director was willing to go to that place, if I was willing to get angry and scream and stomp and, and whatever I had to do, then they're like, okay, I have that permission. I have that freedom. I can do that too. I can go to that place because it's in all of them. It's, it was in each one of them. But sometimes there's a little bit of a resistance to go that dark and in that direction. But we wanted true performances. So I, we were willing to do whatever it took. And so if I had to act it out and say, okay, this is what I want maybe times ten, and then they would do it, and then I would, you know, we'd say cut, and then we would do another take. And usually we would average probably about three to four takes okay. for each actor, you know, in a scene. It would be about three to four. It was rare that they would nail it, like, right on um, that, that first um, time because, number one, you know, not being, like I said, most of them um, professional film actors, this is their first film experience, um, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of different things that you know going on on the set. So uh, there could be reasons for a line flub or something else going on um, during that scene. Yeah. The time, I mean, they were exceptional. Um, do you remember the scene uh, where Louise was talking about her mother at this concentration camp? Yes, this is a very powerful scene, yep, yep. Yes, yes. That story, just the, the Lord just gave me out of thin air, basically, and, and uh, I pray that it ministers to someone. But I, what I tell the actors, and she, she did that in about three takes. Um, we didn't, I don't believe we, we broke it up. She went straight through it. But what I right. tell the actors to do is to stop acting. That's the first thing I tell them because the camera is more sensitive, I think, than the human eye, and it picks up so much, especially in this digital age, and it will pick up truth. It picks up every expression on your face, and, and, and it reads you. And so I say stop acting, be natural, okay? The reason why you were cast in this role is because you are naturally that person on many, many levels in behavior, in your attitude, and in your inflection of your voice, you know, that's why you were cast. So stop acting and just be. And um, they bring a little bit of themselves in, but they also, of course, the actor has a different story. It has a different past. He has a, or she has a different backstory. But they are very similar in other ways, maybe in behavior, maybe in temperament. So they just bring all that together, and it just makes a very real, real, real performance. And that's what I always tell them. Acting is about truth. And character, uh, a character in a story, a, a narrative film, as we do in real life, we think a certain way about ourselves, okay? Yeah. And sometimes how we think about ourselves is different than the way we really are. The audience mm. will read the actions of a character. That's how the audience sees and it's revealed to the audience who the actor really is by their actions. The actor in that character will believe that they are a certain way, but their actions may reveal that they're totally different. Of the, of the basement, 
the people that were left behind thought that they were a certain type of person, but their actions proved them to be very different. So, uh, and that is the tension that causes the great story, I believe great storytelling, is the tension between, between relationships and the characters. It's not so much the message. Um, you know, sometimes in Christian film we want to be quick to give the message without really digging into the character, and the character embedded in every character and every backstory, every line, the message is already there. It's already there. You don't have to work at getting the message out. It's there in the story. It's there in the in the performances because the actors are the storytellers. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you, you, you spoke a lot of truth there about acting. You talked about you know, acting is truth and, you know, you told your actors to stop acting and the cow yes. picks up truth and all these things. How did you – I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Um, a little bit about your training, how you how you came to some of those conclusions. And the other thing, you got to tell me, how did you channel that mom character, that, uh, that, that the one scene you had, how did you channel that? That was, like, amazing. That was – I was scared. I was scared of that character. <laughs> She was a beast. Well, she was you a beast. know, William, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, none of us, unless you were born on the altar, okay, I was not born on the altar, okay, I, I came to the Lord a little later on, and so all I had to do was open a door to my past, <laughs> and that was it, because the, the, the best thing you can do, I mean, God, you know, we, we go through our lives, and God knows every every challenge, every trial that we're going to go through. And he turns around what the enemy meant for evil, he can turn around for good. So there were times in my life when I, was a, I, I had a bad temper. I mean, I had a bad temper. And you know what I found interesting with the characters, William, is that when they had something that they struggled with, they didn't want to go back there. But I said, you know, you're more than conquerors through Christ, so you don't have to worry about it coming back and, you know, haunting you or anything, it's you have control. You you have full control. So I could go there in that character and experience that anger I felt 20 years ago, um, but it's all still under control of the Holy Spirit. So when I went there, I could flash back to being frustrated with someone, um, you know, whoever that might have been, and use that in that scene at that moment, but still be able to walk away and go, hey, what's for lunch, you know, still be joyful about it because it is it is truth, but yet it, it's truth within the context of the story. So you want to express truth within the context of the story. You don't want to take that truth home with you. You know, you don't want to live that truth beyond the context of the story. Right. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, and so you know, I read Stanis- the you know Constantine uh, Stanislavski's book. I, I mean, I love you know uh, in learning about the um, the method acting. I uh, studied a little bit of uh, Uta Hagen, who was a, a German actress who wrote the book Respect for Acting. Um, yep. So a lot of it, though, is just. I guess just being on set and learning as you go. I mean, a lot of it was, oh, you know, on the job. 
and just going through and, and asking God, you know, does this make sense? Because I think with, especially with Christians, you have to have the wisdom of God. You have to be tapped in to where you're getting that impartation and you're imparting into others. Um, to be a director is always you're imparting into other people. You're giving. You're generous. You, you want to see people um, give the best performance of their careers, where, whatever that may be at the time. And you have to be generous in that. You can't be selfish in that. And so, um, you know, when, when you look back, you see the growth of, of each actor. It just blows your mind. I mean, it really does. But me coming into it, I, I, have, I was trained in L.A. I was trained back in the 80s in acting in L.A. I've, I've been acting since I was in high school. I went through college and, you know, uh, theater and college and, and all of that. So I have 30 plus years um, with acting experience. So with me, it, it was a little bit more, you know, technically I could get into that character. I knew how to do that. I knew how to, you know, but what I've learned on set now as a director and being able to step back and watch the actors now and also be in the movie as an actor is, you know, to be about truth, to make it truthful within the context of the story so people have an experience. To me, movies are about experience. They're about being moved and affected. And if you're moved and affected by a narrative or story, that message has already done its work. It's there already. The person is left with that message, whether it's it's conscious or unconscious, they receive something in that experience. And I hope I answered the question. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You, you really hammered the question. So, how can you? I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears here and talk about how Hollywood could do a better job representing people of faith. Uh huh. Yes. Yeah. In um, other words, so, <laughs> so I, let me refine the question a little bit. So it's like. If you were, uh, uh, let me let me let me frame it like this: If you could greenlight okay. projects, what's some some good ways that uh, we could get more Christian films and popular culture? Um, I think, again, with Christian films, I think that we sometimes harbor or we kind of put a lot of emphasis on the message rather mm. than. Um, deeper, you know, uh, character development. Um, and then we have to understand as Christian filmmaker, what what purpose are you serving with this film? Who are you trying to reach? You've got your Christian audience and you have, you know, the, the people who do not attend church or, you know, you have the people who are not religious. And who are you trying to reach? And I believe with every Christian filmmaker, you have a mandate. You have someone you're trying to reach with a certain film. Um, it's not always about the message of, just having it really up in their face, like, here's the message for this movie. But the audience comes away with, like, okay, I got the message, but the characters weren't very deep or the story wasn't very deep. And I think with us, and I'm hopefully I, I consider myself a Christian filmmaker at this point, is that um, people get stimulated by relationship and the tension from those relationships. And because of unmet expectations, disappointment, whatever it is, people get drawn into that world of relationships. And I think that if we make more relationship-driven uh, narratives with 
a godly, redemptive uh, theme intertwined in those relationships, I believe that the audiences will be there. It's more than not just putting out a message and saying this is the message without further development of the character. Do the people even care about the characters? Audiences want to care about what they're seeing. They want to care about the characters. They want to care about the story. They want to care about what happens to the characters, not about just the message. And um, so we're, you know, with the basement, I hope and I pray that the people, the audience cares about what happens to these characters. They, they, they fall in love with Julian. You know, when we did the screening, I was really glad to hear more people talking about the characters more so than the message. Not that the message is not important. It is. But it, to me, it has to be a little bit more subtle because audiences want just more than that. They want to, be feel, they want to feel connected. They want to feel connected to the story and to the characters. They want to be able to go, what happened to Julian? You know, what happened to him after, you know, he came back to the church or whatever? So, um, I think it's it's just a matter of that connection that the audience wants to feel to certain characters. Like, I I try to step back as a director, and I look at the film and say, what do I want to see? What's going to move me? And if it doesn't move me, then I got to say, well, maybe it doesn't need to be in the film. Yeah, I mean, if it if it's something that's uh, just not even not moving the story forward or doesn't. It won't affect you emotionally. I I couldn't see how it would uh, how would it would affect the viewer. Right, exactly. And and sometimes we have to put ourselves in the in the place of the viewer to say, is this something I would want to see? I mean, we were trying to be. We were very careful about you know the violence in the film and and the sexual content. Um, you know, I think things can be done tastefully, but I also think that. Filmmaking sometimes has lost the um, the ability to imagine. Do you know what I mean? Like we put yeah. everything out there for oh, this person gets killed and we see it. This person, it, this happens to this person and we see it. There's nothing left to the audience's imagination, and right. sometimes that's a, that's. Sometimes we gotta let them imagine what happened to that girl in the bathroom. What you know? What happened? Uh, to to this person, and we don't always have to show everything, you know. Sometimes we let the, the audience work for it a little bit and let them imagine and, and maybe create their own ending or, or create their own idea in their head as to what happened to this character, whether good, bad, indifferent. But um, I, I think that Christian filmmaking is on the verge of something absolutely wonderful because I see – I mean, there are so many great filmmakers out there, and if, I think if we're, we become relentless and fearless in our quest to um, show truth, uh, in, you know, in a narrative, to show that we understand truth, that we understand what it's like to struggle. Christians aren't perfect, and we struggle right. too, and... You know, we've, we've gone through some dark stuff, too, and we probably still would if it wasn't for our Lord, if it wasn't for God. And so we can't be so far removed that, that we can't portray Christians as not being troubled or human 
or any of those things. So we have to be, I think, I, I think we're coming to the, to the point where we're being absolutely truthful because to me the world is saying, well, I knew that all along. You know, we knew that Christians yeah. aren't perfect. It's it's a good thing now. You're learning that you're not. So, so maybe that's <laughs> it. I don't know. <laughs> you know, so just coming from that position, um, I think that realism without being, you know, just tasteful or tasteless um, is very important because people are searching for truth. I, uh, why, I think that's why reality shows are so popular because people are looking for truthfulness. They're looking for reality, even though they're scripted too. But um, right. I think that as we move closer to truth, um, I think the more receptive people will be to our work. You absolutely, know, that they will absolutely. Be more so um, I know we were joking the other night about your next film. Have you thought about your next film? Yes, yes. Actually, I have ideas for about four more films. <laughs> um, the next one we're going to do is My Name is Muhammad, and it's, it, again, controversy. I'm like, Lord, you have me making these controversial films. <laughs> I don't know. But um, it's actually a comedy, and I don't want to go too much into it, but from what I, I kind of like to think of films in a certain way, like I often thought of The Basement as like, I don't know if you saw the movie Crash. I love that movie. Yeah, it impacted my life. I mean, just it moved me. I'll put it that way. It, it was one of those those movies that really moved me, written and directed by Paul Haggis. And yeah. it was kind of like the Crash uh, movie of, of, of Christendom, you know, <laughs> where all these different characters come together in the basement and kind of their lives kind of collide. And um, from that, truth comes out of that. But uh, with My Name is Muhammad, it's more, it's a quirky film. It's very quirky, but what I find God has me doing in the writing, like I'm, I've already started writing the script, is mixing comedy with drama, mixing lightheartedness with heaviness. And it's a good combination because it allows the audience to breathe once in a while. You know, if it gets a little intense, then you add something that's going to have them exhale a little bit, you know, and, and say, okay, well, you know, this isn't, this isn't, you know, we can't take it too seriously. So um, that's what I'm writing now. And then there's another one called Obedience is Better, sort mm -hmm. of a little bit uh, of a controversy also. Um, and then there's another one called The Bus Stop, which is very controversial, which inspired me from a true life event. There's another one mm. called 720 Mulberry Street, which also um, inspired me from a true life event. Um, and it mm -hmm. had to do with, you know, capital punishment and forgiveness. And so, you know, there, there are quite a few scripts that God, I believe, is, is having me or wanting me to write. Um, we're believing God for next time to be able to hire um, not just the actors that we have now, which are great actors, but in addition to that, even, you know, uh, get some work out there for, for professional Christian actors and, and um, you know, just be, just be open to whatever God has us for us to do at this point. Absolutely, absolutely. So talk about, um, before I let you go, your, your segment is just about uh, at an end here. It was fantastic. But before I let you go, 
talk a okay. little bit about the, how, how fans can follow you and uh, how actors can send you their headshots and resumes. Oh, sure. Um, we just put up a new website, and it's www.jclprod.com, um, uh-huh. which is, also gives you a link to the basement page, which is our movie. And so you can also ha- – there's a contact page there where you can um, send, uh, you know, uh, information there through that website as well. So we're going to be, you know, going into the website and um, um, picking up those things once we get into pre-production for our next film as well. So we're going to be looking for talent for the next film. Yeah, oh, and the, uh, if you want to independently go to the basement website, it's www.newrealbasement.com. We also have an IMDb, IMDb page, uh, The Basement uh, 2014. That's, that's great. But Cynthia, you, you've been an exceptional guest. I really enjoyed your your insightful act, uh, explanations of the, the acting business and the, the craft of acting. You know, I named this show Inside Acting. It's sort of the, the inner nuts and bolts of, of acting, and you, you really nailed it tonight. I really enjoyed your, your insightful comments, and we're oh, really pulling for so the much. basement. We're really pulling. Oh, and I forgot. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just saying thank you. We Thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful. Yes, yes. And um and all the excitement, did I ask you did we cover exactly when you think uh, the ba- the basement will be uh not only uh recut and finished but actually distributed? Um well we're actually looking to get the final cut probably in the next month and then we're going to uh-huh. go for distribution. So we're hoping to, you know, by summer have it out in theaters or late summer. Um, just to see what God's going to do, however he wants to do it. So, you know, but we're definitely going to pursue distribution, and hopefully, you know, people will be able to see it either on DVD or in, in a local theater near you. So, you know, whatever whatever he wants to do is fine with us. <laughs> That's fantastic. Well, Cynthia, again, I'm definitely going to have you on uh, probably in the summer, you know, to talk about uh, not only this basement, but your other projects you have coming up and uh you were great fantastic guest and uh so i'm going to go ahead and uh wish you a blessed night and a blessed week you too you take care william thank you so much okay bye-bye bye-bye okay dear listeners next i'm going to welcome director chris Folino who has directed the superhero film Sparks, along with actor Daniel Ross of the Ninjas Versus trilogy. And I wanted to bring on uh, William Katz from uh, movies like uh, Carrie and the TV classic The Greatest American Hero. Hopefully he will dial in, but uh, he may or he may not. And I'm going to bring... Go ahead and bring in Chris and Daniel after a brief musical interlude in just a few seconds here. And after that, we'll bring them on. Yeah. 
Yes, indeed. That song was This Town Ain't Big Enough for the Both of Us by a group named Sparks. And there's a movie by that very same name, Sparks. It uh, premieres tomorrow out at the Alamo Draft House in Ashburn, Virginia at 9 p.m. Let me tell you a little bit about the movie. The movie is about a mass vigilante who discovers the dark side of heroism when he goes after the, the nation's most notorious Super criminal, and so I should have on the line uh, Daniel Ross and uh, director Chris Foligno. So let me go ahead and uh, oh, and oh, let me tell you one more thing about the movie. It uh, also stars Ashley Bell as Lady Heavenly. Uh, Jake Boosie is in in the film as a character called uh, Sledge, and the aforementioned William Cat as a character called. Mantanza. It's fantastic. It's premiering tomorrow night. Uh, yours truly, the king of DC media, will be there. Absolutely, absolutely. So let me, without further ado, let me go ahead and bring in uh, Dan and Chris. Hello there. Good evening, gentlemen. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. William All right. We have Thanks a, for coming on the show. Our pleasure. We have a surprise for you. Oh, Believe you do? it or not. Believe it or not, we have another William on the phone with you right now. Oh, the great wow. American hero himself, the man from Carrie, among many other wonderful films, and, and our executive producer, and, and just uh, one of our, 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 our favorite people in the whole wide world. I give you William Cat, sir. Hey, how's it going, William? Good evening. Good evening. William, how are, are you? How friend. are you? I guess you can just call me Will for this interview. <laughs> Thanks sure, for calling I'll, in. I'll, I'll, I'll kill you, call you Will, and it's great to be on the phone with all you guys. All right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, Chris, I'm going to start with you. I want you to tell my listeners a little bit more about Sparks. Well, first of all, great introduction. Thanks for the the, the music by by the by the amazing rock group Sparks as well. That I, that I you know that, that's actually William Cat's ringtone. That's how impressive that was. <laughs> really? And I, I wanted that's to, for real. You're, you're pulling my leg. I would not lie to you. Yes, I would. But I want to let you know <laughs> we have a, a a wonderful wonderful cast. But also we have Clancy Brown, who everyone knows from uh, the Shawshank Redemption and the Kurgan. And we also, uh, besides just not just uh, Jake Busey, we also have uh, Clint Howard, which is one of the all-time great actors who's appeared in over 100 different movies. And as well as we have Ashley Bell and, uh, from The Last Exorcism and Face Williamson from John Dies at the End. And more importantly, we have not just William Catt, but we have Daniel Ross. So, the, you know, we are, we're, com we're coming down tomorrow uh, in full force, and we're very excited to be there. And, and the movie's just a, it's a, just an independent uh, film that we we got uh, an opportunity to make but the, the thing is we um we um tried to, to do everything we could to make it a, a big blockbuster feel and it's kind of a, a very noir 1940s film that has some superhero elements to it and the main 
sort of question that we always ask is if you really had powers, would you use them for good or would you use them for evil? And that's kind of what the whole movie explores. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. In the, now, I looked at the poster. It seemed like the, the film was, in some ways, the tone, and just hearing you describe it, it there's a couple of movies that it, it, uh, it evokes. Um, Kick-Ass is one movie, and then the other one was The Watchmen. So how is your, how is your movie different? What makes it stand out? Well, well, well yeah, you know, I can answer that real quick. Uh, I'm in uh-huh. it. I, I'm in <laughs> okay, it. So, so that, that's what separates everything else. And I'm okay. going to throw that back to Christy. <laughs> yeah, okay. That, that alone, that alone. Now, you know, you know it's, it's, it's interesting is we um, originally started with uh, Bill, uh, a comic book company called Catastrophic Comics. And back in 2007, we actually um, had Sparks uh, come out, and uh, which was uh, about uh, – Two months um, earlier, uh, Kick-Ass came out as a comic book. So it was uh, it was really interesting to see how they handled the situation of a, a superhero with no, you know, no powers wanting to do something well and good. Um, our, our film is uh, a, a lot darker than, than, than Kick-Ass, and it's uh, again, it's it's basically um, what's happening with uh, with Sparks and, and where it separates from like uh, Watchmen story as well too. Is it's 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 got definitely. Um, superhero element to it, but the noir story is, is kind of touches on the, the, the whole Casablanca and sort of um, third man and DOA um, feel to it. And uh, it, it's, it's just a very gritty, gritty little film. And, and uh, quite honestly, you know, we, we weren't trying to, you know, uh, copy anybody. In fact, when it was originally written, you know, it was just, it was kind of like one of these things that, you know, we never thought would end up uh, having the opportunity to, to, to make a movie. So we tried to make it as uh, original as we could. And, and the, the good thing is, you know, we got to, to, to this on our own terms. There's no studio backing. This is just basically not just a, a, a labor of, of love, but we have some amazing people, not just uh, in front of the camera, but behind the camera who, you know, do professional commercials for a living. And it was just one of those things that we took the opportunity. And when you have a chance in life, you just go ahead and you take it. Fantastic, fantastic answer. Okay, William, so tell me about your character, Mantanza. Uh, Mantanza is uh, he's a pathological, a, a, a pretty sick guy. And uh, he is uh, remorseless. And uh, I don't know what else to say about him. He's, he's pretty cold-blooded. And... and uh, it, it was it was interesting to play as a as a, as an actor because I don't get the opportunity very often, but my kids, for years, have known me as a bad guy, so it was great to show that <laughs> okay, side of good myself on the screen. Yeah, <laughs> he goes from the greatest American hero to the greatest American villain. There, William. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, dark turn there, dark turn. <laughs> Okay, uh, back to Chris. What is now the main character, uh, Ian Sparks? Uh, what are his strengths and weaknesses as a character? Well, you know, you know, um, one of the things that we we tried to just accomplish with the with the story was, you know, we all seen Batman. He's he's a wonderful character, iconic, 
and uh, but he's a billionaire, you know, and he's got every single gadget that you'd ever want, you know, to mankind. And the, one of the things that happens is we, we kind of, you know, show off in the very beginning of the movie that here's a kid who's, who's you know, has the same sort of path, but he, you know, his parents get killed, and unfortunately, you know, he, uh, he, he just doesn't have, you know, all the different gadgets in the world, but he still wants to do, you know, out there and seek justice and, and, and vengeance. And, um, you know, Sparks' powers, honestly, you know, when you, we don't want to give too much away from the movie. When you go through it, you know, and, and, and you watch it, you know, especially hopefully this, this, this Friday with us in the theater, because uh, we're bringing Ashley and we're bringing Bill and Daniel's coming too, and I'll be down there too. You know, I, I think, you know, you got to just, you know, I want you, William, just to wait till still Friday and you'll see what his power is. But, I, you know, we hope it's a good one that you guys will enjoy and, and uh, definitely be surprised by it. Fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, William, uh, what attracted you to the project? Um, I've been, well, you know, this goes back a long way. Chris and I have been good friends uh, since we did the film Gamers that Chris directed. Uh, And uh, we've stayed friends. We did the comic book company. We did uh, two or three publications. And, uh, you know, it was kind of the next, uh, after we did a, a successful motion comic of the, of the comic book, and uh, after which we said, "Well, let's uh, let's jump in here." I was following Chris's lead, and let's do a feature. Let's do a live-action presentation of it. That's what we did, and we got uh, we got uh, a lot of help along the way. And but I jumped in because it seemed like the right thing to do, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, Daniel, what That's do me. you think? Yes, yes. Uh, what do you think is the, I guess the, the universe of this movie? Do you think it's, do you think it's closer to the Marvel universe? I know it's its own universe, but is it closer to the Marvel universe or the kind of the DC universe? You know, I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna say that it is probably closer to just its own thing. Uh, Sparks uh-huh. is independent to the core. And this is one of the things that really attracted me to the project and even more so to the people that were working on it. Uh, Chris and I go a ways back. Um, we, we met, uh, it feels like eons ago, back at uh, E3 in 2006. And uh, this, this guy bought me my ticket so that I could go in and network uh, with these people. And uh, uh, we just recently met face-to-face on my last trip to L.A. because we haven't actually met in person. But... Uh, his group of people at, at Sideshow Production, uh, they they primarily did like post-production work, and uh, graciously, uh, he had invited me to work on the motion comic for Sparks, uh, the motion comic for Mark Wade's Irredeemable, and uh, uh, you know, likewise, lots and lots of commercials and things. So we've we've been having fun for a long time, and you know, this is a guy who scrounges to be able to find the means to, to be creative and really thinks with, you know, my ideology of, of how to uh, be creative and make movies. Uh, I mean, this is absolutely independent to the core. So Sparks, I can't say it's Marvel or DC. This is, this is when you walk into the comic store and, and you just you see that one comic that catches your eye and you go over and grab it and, and, it, and it hooks you 
and, uh, you know, takes you away from all the big boys because uh, you've got something really cool, nitty-gritty that speaks to you. And uh, I, I think that's what Sparks really does well. Uh, it's just it's independent filmmaking at its best. Uh, this is a huge release. I, I can't even uh, say that <laughs> as much as I can't give it enough credit. And uh, when you guys come out tomorrow night uh, at um, the Alamo Draft House in Ashburn, you're going to get a chance to meet these guys, uh, Chris Foligno especially, and uh, you know, say hi, network with these people, talk to them, and you're going to see that they're, they're filmmakers like a lot of us here in the DMV market, uh, only they've taken it to the next level. They've got distribution with Image Entertainment, and they're taking it places. So, so this is a real independent-based film with with a lot of heart and a lot of hard work and uh i, I think people are going to really see that and enjoy it it's a it's a darn good film it's a really really good film yeah i can i can tell and it's also highly rated on uh, imdb i'm going to switch back to william so uh william you know uh, arnold schwarzenegger was quoted as saying you can have the greatest movie in the world but it doesn't matter it doesn't mean a thing if nobody sees it and it all comes down to marketing so you know, what's some of the, the lessons learned for you about promoting an independent film like this one? Um, I, I tell you what, everything, it's like, it's like a small indie band, you know. Uh, uh-huh. It couldn't have been more succinct. Uh, than, uh, it, it's really like an independent band, and you're out there and you're, you're, we're, we're out there touring with the band. And uh, it really depends on the fans coming out and supporting us and and uh, and applauding. So a lot of people are are, are risking it, going out there, and uh, it's darn good. It, it it's darn good. It's not it's not like uh, if you're coming out to see the Avengers, it's not that. It's it's something more interesting, more introspective, more personal. That's what it is. Yeah, you, you mentioned that it's like you're in a band. So, um, so what are some of the the venues you've got coming up after Ashburn? Uh, Chris, well, we're going to go to uh, Winchester on um, Saturday night, and uh, that'll be in, uh, at the uh, the Alamo um, Draft House over um, there as well. And what we're going to do from 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 there, and that, that's uh, just a that's the one in Winchester. And then um, we're going to fly over to Texas on March um, 23rd, and we're going to be in Caddy, Texas, over at Mason Park at the Alamo Draft House, and we're taking uh, the, the whole gang over there, and Clint Howard's going to meet us over there too. And then, um, you know, right now the, the movie is available on, uh, you know, iTunes, Amazon, uh, DirecTV, on Channel 150. Um, you know, this is, uh, you know, the, hard, the, hard, the hardest thing is, is not, you know, unfortunately when... You know, you go out and you set out to make a movie. Um, you know, you get your friends and, and, and you do very, very best. Uh, the hardest thing is honestly uh, is uh, getting the word out and getting people to, you know, come see it and, 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 and uh, getting a fan base together. Because, um, you know, quite honestly, uh, you know, one of the, the toughest things no one, no one tells you is that is the distribution side of it. And uh, what ends up happening is unless you, um, you know, make, make a film that, you know, that is... Uh, going to get picked up at Sundance or South by Southwest, you know, you, your choice of distributors isn't going to be the top ones. You'll get the, the middle ones. And the middle ones, you know, they'll take their 50%, they'll slap it in, and they want to put it on a, you know, video store. They're not interested in helping you doing theatrically, and, and they're quite honestly, 
you know, they're not going to put as much money into it because, you know, they're going to make, they're going to make, you know, their money. And so what happens is, you know, this is a, this is a huge thing for us because of the fact that, you know, we, we have this opportunity that the Alamo gave us to come bring our film there. And we have like a, you know, good straight old fashioned deal. We called them up and they gave us a chance. And then that led to three Alamos. We've done it over here in California and called up the theater and led the four. We screened the movie for them. They liked it. So that, that's, it's really just a word of mouth thing. And, you know, I, I hope to God, you know, and, you know, a year or two for indie films that uh, we can just bypass all these horrible distributors and we can start doing what they're doing with uh, musicians on iTunes and uh, make that happen because, you know, the more that happens, then the independent films will get better. You'll get better actors because the thing is the risk that those people are taking, you can take it with the actors and you, you can cut out a fat little middleman. That's, that's what I'm hoping for. And, you know, one thing yeah, I want to jump in and say real quick uh, um, is that this particular film has so much content out on the web right now. You can, you can go out to iTunes and you can actually check out uh, the motion comics that were done beforehand. Uh, by the way, also featuring uh, a fantastic actor, Michael Bell, uh, Ashley Bell's father, uh, who's a, uh, a, a voice actor from the good old days, used to work on Transformers, G.I. Joe, uh, does video game work, etc. So, so we've got such a great cast of people uh, involved with this. And when you're done watching the movie, there's just so much more that you can go out and check out to to really enjoy the world and this this franchise that that Chris and and, and Bill have put together. Um, it's really fantastic. Yes, fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, William. Based on this movie and uh, some of your past roles, what is the dark side of heroism? <laughs> the dark side of heroism, I don't know. Yeah. Because <laughs> you, you play both side sides of... now. You play both sides. Yeah, I don't know. I think the, the, in all cases, uh, you know, with the, uh, with great gifts comes great responsibilities. I would say that, you know. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so yeah, what's, so a, that's what's what a good I, bad guy quote, Bill? Well, what's a, what's a really huh? good bad guy quote then? <laughs> bad guy quote. If if with if with great uh, responsibility comes heroism, I just butchered that. Um, what what's what's a good bad guy quote? Oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd have to go away and write that down. I think with a different brain when I write, you know. <laughs> with with great goggles comes awesomeness. I think that's that's probably. Yes, the, I, I like that. I think that's quick. I'll go with that. With great goggles <laughs> comes awesomeness. Yes. <laughs> yeah, William. I, I'm going to um, piggyback on that. And uh, during the production, were you big on improv or did you stick pretty close to the script? Oh no no no! Chris was a tyrant. If we changed one syllable, he would come down on us like a like a like a, a house of bricks. No 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 no. <laughs> there, there's always a you know on our sets, there's always an element of improv, and I think on any film you have to allow for that, and any any great director knows that. Uh, yeah. it, it allows for the spontaneity in the scene, and and uh, so I, I think that comes with the territory. You know, never yeah, we have twice. Yeah, and, and Bill, what, what uh, um, happened with the movie, too, is we always had written a comic book for Bill to play 
the Archer character, which Clancy Brown ended up coming in and, and, and playing, and, and, and Bill hurt his uh, neck really, really badly. And so what happened was, as we got closer to, to the filming, Bill, Bill stepped in and took on the role of Matanza. And uh, what he ended up doing with, with that role was uh, far exceeded anyone's uh, expectations. He brought a, a great deal of, of uh, just creepiness to it. And uh, he, he really just, he, he, just, he, he, he added uh, his own lines. He improv a, a good deal of uh, the, the portion of what will it take to kill you, Mr. Sparks, knives, guns. You know, and 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 it's just that's that's what you get when you have a you know an incredible actor that use just just also a wonderful writer and, and and director as well too. And 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 not only did Bill, you know, you know help us produce this whole thing and and star in it, but you know I got to tell you when you do an indie film, you know we shot this thing in primarily 12 days with two different crews going on because that's how we had to afford this. Uh, by the sixth day in a row that was going on, my brain was mush after like 17 hours and no sleep. I called Bill up one of the sequences that we had, and he came in and, and he helped direct that sequence. And that's you know that's, that's a kind of the, the you know five star utility player that, that Bill Cat is. So you know for me as as, as, as a kid, Grace American Heroes was my favorite TV show, and to have the opportunity to to, to meet Bill and become his friend, and you know, good nine years later. You know, we we get to do this other you know film together. It's it's uh, it's quite remarkable. And on a personal you know personal level, it's you know uh, I, you know I'm trying to allow ask him if he can still let me you know wear the red suit. But he's he's just a wonderful <laughs> human being. So. We've had we've had a lot of great. Let me just say we we've had a lot of great friends. And uh, you can't do this without a great team a team of friends around you. You know. And uh, every, everybody stepped up to the plate and, and, and put in uh, 20 hours a day for a long time. Even Daniel Ross, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, 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 put in, I put in so many minutes. I put in so many minutes to this film. It's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> but, you know, so what, this William, is, honestly, um, guys, this is what your, really gets what's me going. approach because... to directing? I know you directed, uh, you stepped into this and directing on this project, so... So what's your whole take? Do you have the Clint Eastwood st- school where you say, oh, okay, that's uh, one good take. I, t- you know, I tell you, what, focus I tell you what my secret is. You know yeah. what my secret is? I always yeah. carry my magic eight ball, and, I, and I, I try to shake it the right way, and I look for my answers with my magic eight ball. Groovy, groovy, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. That's good. That's, you know, that's the way. Yeah, on a more serious note, no, there's, there's, there's no answer. It's... It's so much of luck, and you know that with life. So much of it is luck, and experience uh, leads you in certain directions. And uh, uh, I, I, I did what was required at the time uh, to help out with this project. And uh, uh, Chris didn't uh, need a lot of uh, didn't need a lot of help. I mean, he's uh, he's pretty intuitive, and he's uh, he has a lot of chops from his experience in the gaming industry. And uh, so he didn't he didn't need a lot of help whatsoever. Most of the time, I was taking my lead from him. And like I was going to say, this is one of the things that I really appreciate about this particular production, uh, William, was that uh, you know these guys these guys had an idea, they wanted to do something special, they went out and actually did it. And that's the principle of independent film. And one of the real things about uh, the DMV that I've always loved is that people out here 
just love to, 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 to see their creativity go. It's why I stepped behind the camera in the first place with the Ninjas movies uh, and some other upcoming flicks, uh, you know, to be able to do that. And, and this really draws me to this particular crowd. And I think when everybody comes to see the movie tomorrow, you're going to get a real sense of that and how these guys are just like you and me. And, you know, oh, my gosh, we got, we got William Cat, who's greatest American hero, and it's awesome. And now you get to peer, uh, peel back the curtain and, and see the, uh, the guy that's just like you and me. And that's, that's what I think is really, really cool about Sparks and this particular yep. screening. Absolutely, absolutely. So, uh, William, when you play a, a villain, what some of the the what do you channel? I mean, what what do you channel in your life or in your background to to play a, a good a good old villain that's that's three dimensional and not a caricature? Um, well, I would throw that back at you. You know, when you're interviewing different guests, you know, you you do your research and uh, you 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 use a different uh, color palette with each guest, and that's the same thing you do with, when you're being an actor. You you use uh, you go back, you do the research for the character, uh, you explore his world a little bit, and then you apply your own colors to it, and uh, you believe every word out of your mouth, and, and that's what. That's what I do, and that's what that's what every uh, I want to I want to put myself in that category. Every good actor does that same thing. Well, a voice actor, real actor, doesn't matter. You believe what you say, you know. Right. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. So, Chris, uh, what about the use of CGI? Was is there a lot of CGI shots in the film? You know, um, there is uh, over 450 effect shots in the movie, and the movie's 97 minutes long. So, it's, you know, there's a great deal of CGI, and, and it was uh, done by two guys who uh, we, we have uh, at our company at Sideshow Productions, and uh, that's just something that took place over, you know, an 18-month period. Most movies like The Avengers, if you go and watch the credits, it goes on for about, you know, nine minutes with thousands of, of wonderful CGI people. But when you make an independent film, quite honestly, you know, and, and you know, most non-budget films are either horror films or they're, uh, you know, romantic comedies. Not many are 1940, you know, film noir superhero movies. And so, you know, there was, you know, for example, there's a, a train sequence in the movie that blows up. Uh, we tried to go to Fillmore, California, is where they do a lot of the train sequence when they did, you know, all that Unstoppable and all those other wonderful train movies. Um, but, you know, they're like, hey, yeah, we'll give you give us $30,000, we'll park the train here, and you guys go shoot your little film. And, you know, that's just not feasible. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in this day and age, you know, C CG, you know, when you have actors for like just, uh, for example, Clancy Brown was only available for six days, so it was Ashley Bell you have to go ahead and you have to use green screen because when you're at the particular location we're at, Lacey Street, which is a wonderful location to shoot 1940s film noir, not all of it's going to be there. So the cemetery scene, we had to do you know, green screen. So, you know, if you ask me, you know, you know, I'd love to do just no CG whatsoever because, you know, not not a fan of it, honestly, but uh, it's a necessity that, that you know, has to, to, has to happen. But... You know, the guys did a wonderful job in this, and it was, you know, especially for uh, the, the film that, you know, is not a, you know, 
a multi blockbuster budget. It, but you know, the thing is, you know, we, we, you we've been able to. That. You absolutely wouldn't know. Well, we've been, you know, we've been very fortunate enough that, that uh, you know, some, you know, we, that people such as Bill and everyone else involved, uh, you know, they, they can make this movie look uh, a lot more expensive than, than than it turned out to be. But yeah, it, it has a has a great deal of uh, wonderful CG in it now. Fantastic, fantastic. So, uh, William, money aside, what do you like better, independent filmmaking or Hollywood filmmaking? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, some of the some of our great directors have come out of the indie world, and uh, what you hope to do as, a, as an actor is periodically uh, get lucky enough to work with a with an up-and-coming talent, like a Chris Foligno with Sparks here, uh, that will emerge and, and be one of our great directors. And um, so many of our mainstream directors today and talents have come out of the indie world. You know, just uh, you just get lucky. And so uh, I'm, I'm hoping I got lucky. Absolutely. Well. Absolutely. <laughs> well too said. Kind. You, 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 you kind, Bill. Too kind. And it's it's is, fun for me because I, I got to work with an up-and-coming actor named uh, William Cat. I, I think he's going to do great things with his career. I, I, I mean, think so. I think he has potential. He will, will, he's got potential. That's right. We'll, we'll, right. Consi- we'll consider Bill, Bill Cat's way too nice, but consider consider Bill's work some of the best directors ever in his life. Like John Milius is. Uh, you know, an American icon, and then Brian De Palma. I mean, so I mean, and and, and we're not even talking about Bill Cat's uh, stage experience, where not just Pippin when working with Bob Fosse. So you know, he, he's he's a very kind man to, to to say that, but it's not true. But you know, but I mean, seriously, this is a you know, when you have somebody who uh, has worked with you know all these wonderful directors, and as an own right, as an own right, a wonderful director, you know, you know, the the guidance that you're going to get on set. Is, uh, is 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 great, and that's we capitalized off that, you know, because we, you know, are his friends, and and he's a very generous man. Not a lot of uh, people are are that generous to, to to share that knowledge, but that's just, you know, that's I guess that's one of the things where you know, it's like it was, there was a reason why when you're, you know, we were watching him in the '80s, and he was your, you know, your favorite favorite American hero. He's, he's just he's the same guy in real real life too. Can't can't say enough nice things about him, and. And uh, you know, we're just we're just we're thankful because without him, we wouldn't have this opportunity. Well, yeah, we, we got always a great surprise. Sorry, I'll jump. I'll jump in. I was going to say it's it's always a great surprise when you can meet one of your childhood heroes, you know, whoever that may be, and find out that they are just like you, have gone through the same struggles as you are, are accessible and willing to 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 help you usher in whatever creative ideas you've got. And, and William Catt is one of those guys, and I, and I think that was one of the things that just surprised me and, and delighted me so much. And, uh, you know, Chris is, is, is an absolute visionary. He's, he's done this before, and he's gone bigger. And my vision for, for making films is always go bigger, go better, go bigger, no matter the odds, just keep shooting for the dream. And this is the crew of people that are doing it. And I'm just so excited for everybody to meet these guys. It's going to be really, really fun tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Real talk. So getting back to the, the, the core of the movie, uh, Chris, talk a little bit about uh, 
Who's this character, Lady Heavenly? What a name. Talk, talk a little bit about her. She's played by uh, Ashley Bell, who's from The Last Exorcism, who, who will be joining us tomorrow night. And, and uh, if you haven't met Ashley Bell, uh, or, or she, she's just another wonderful human being who uh, you know, comes from an immensely talented family. Her dad's a voiceover legend, Michael Bell, and her mom, Victoria, is uh, also, you know, and right, just a wonderful actress and, and a painter as well. And uh, the character for, um, you know, Lady Heavenly, uh, you know, one, one thing we are really proud of in, in this film is we have some very strong female characters, and that, that's, an, that's an ode definitely to the film noir, you know, uh, you know kind of uh, what we were trying to accomplish. But Lady Heavenly is just... She kicks ass, and she's actually a much better fighter than Sparks. And uh, she just, you know, you know, she takes a liking to him because he's scrappy, and uh, they become partners. And um, you know, and then their their uh, love is put to the ultimate test. And uh, I don't want to spoil it too much, but um, you know, what what happens is just if you, you know, one of the things we just love the most and when we were working on the project was just, you know, Casablanca is one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life, especially, you know, when you've broken up with a woman, you want to watch a movie that will truly make you feel the same way that you're feeling is, is that's the movie. And so we tried to, you know, you know, we're nowhere near Casablanca, but we definitely tried to put sparks through the, the same ringer. And, uh, you know, and, and she just stays a strong character throughout the whole, the whole movie and, and actually brought those qualities and then some, some, that that's who Lady. Uh, I'm going to give you a spoiler, Chris. I'm I'm going to throw out a spoiler. John dies at the end. <laughs> oh come on! That's another one of those. John, John dies at the end. Yep. <laughs> no, it's because our lead actor Chase Williamson is from a movie called John Dies at the End. So it's uh, yes, it's, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh, Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. So uh, Chris, uh, <laughs> oh, really, you... please, huh? Oh, William, Mr. King of DC Media. <laughs> oh, okay, you had to, you had to, had to come back at me. Um, so now, uh, who plays Ian Sparks? Besides the the main character. Yeah, that's that's played by uh, Chase Williamson, who's uh, from from John Dies at the End, and he's, um, you know, he was a guy who we, uh, Ashley Bell, his agent, is the one who recommended us uh, for him, and. You know, we uh, you know we got to meet him, and we uh, we basically saw the trailer for John Dies at the End before it had come out, and liked the way he uh, you know did it, did his voiceover as well as he carried himself. So we had uh, the day before Thanksgiving about two years ago, had him come down and met with him, and had him meet with Michael Bell and also Bill Cat, and uh, then just basically offered him a part as long as he lost some weight. And to his credit, I think he lost almost 35 to 40 pounds in five weeks. And, uh, you know, we were just, you know, they're very dedicated people who we had between Ashley Bell and, 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 and Chase. They both had a, you know, they both had different choreography. They had to learn for fighting and, and they had a lot of intensive training. And then we had about a month uh, and a half of uh, prep time leading for the actors to rehearse because to try to accomplish a movie in, in basically 12 days, a uh, feature film, you know, I couldn't be on the the other set. Todd Burroughs is our co-director, and so I tried as much as we could to work with Ashley and Chase to go over each scene to tell them what we're thinking about, and then we would rehearse it. And then basically on the day that we'd be shooting, 
I'd be in one corner of the uh, the location of the lot shooting something, and then basically Todd would be shooting something with his crew, and they Chase would be running back and forth, and so would Ashley. So it was just a lot of uh, planning that had to take place. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of a lot of work when you got a tight schedule like that. Well, you know that's you know that I think, but uh, you know, budget dictates that, and that's what you know indie filmmaking is. I think you know everyone with an indie in story can talk to you about how you know had no money and how they had to do all these you know different things and find uh, different ways. Because honestly, you know, the the dream to make a movie, uh, you know, and and one of to have some of the actors involved, and especially a SAG movie. Uh, you know, it's expensive. You know, SAG, SAG. You know, it's it's they're 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 not easy on indie filmmakers. You have to go ahead and pay a, a large amount of money to 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 uh, hold the you know whatever actor say an actor is going to make five hundred dollars on your project. You know, SAG embargoes at five hundred dollars, and you still have to pay that actor. And then after your movie's done, then they give you that money back. Now, when you're an indie film and you're basically you know shooting with thirty SAG actors you know, that becomes like twenty, thirty thousand dollars and that's a it's a huge load of money that SAG's gonna hold on to the movie's over with. So, you know, that's those are those are that's just one of the many challenges of, of making indie filmmaker. You know, Daniel knows all about this and I'm sure yourself too from all the, you know, wonderful guests that you've you've talked to and God knows, you know, Bill Katz been on both spectrums from, you know, huge movies to, to, to small movies. But every movie has a story. And, you know, the only thing we can say about Sparks is but you know, truly, honestly, we, we got a shot and we we took it. Now, if you you know if you like it, fantastic. If you don't like it, it's okay. We like it and love it enough for for you. But we're really, you know, we wouldn't be coming down tomorrow night at 9 p.m. hanging out with you guys if we weren't completely, you know, supportive of, of the film and wanting to meet everyone over at the Alibo, you know, yeah, Cinema Draft House. So, and, and of course, and it's important Dan, to Dan, you, Chris, Dan, that, Dan, that Dan people haven't Trump. heard the full story. They haven't yeah, heard the Dan full Dan story here. They get to hear the rest tomorrow. Okay, okay. And I know you're having a, a Q and A afterwards as well. So that's going to be that's going to be pretty exciting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, there's going to be a Q and A, and and Chris, are we, are we doing are we doing autographs? Are we doing any of that? You know what? I think whatever anyone would like to do, we just we just be like, yeah. I, th- I think well, you know, and and the wonderful thing too is you know, look, Bill, Bill's going to be down there, Ashley's going to be down there, and the nice thing is you get to meet these people, you know, in person, and and you you won't find two two nicer folks, and and you know, I, everyone knows, you know, you know Daniel Ross, and and you have to come down just to see what his hair's going to look like because that's always kind of like a treat for everybody. I, I've seen his hairstyle on. Uh on the social media and it's enough to intimidate anybody. So let's just keep it at that. I, I think so too. I mean, I really hope that most people uh, in that, in, in, in the DC area and also, you know, Ashburn don't look like Daniel cause, cause that's a, uh, that's a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a handsome, scary man. So <laughs> I'm going to throw this question out to William. So uh, as executive producer, what's some of the things that uh, you did for the film? Um, an executive producer gets to be there at the beginning and get in on all the discussions and uh, take credit for a lot of things he doesn't do. That's what he does. <laughs> well, that means he's got the warmest cup of coffee. He's got the warmest cup of coffee in the morning. That's not. Yeah, that's you know what? Nice. You know it's not. You know what? Bill Cat was with the project from the beginning, and he basically we went over the script. We'd go over it. We'd go over the 
the scheduling. We'd go over the casting. Bill Cat alone, he you know he made a phone call. He got Jake Busey. Jake Busey turns out to be his 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 uh, his his godson. So him and Gary, when they're making Big Wednesday, you know Gary's like, Hey Bill, Bill, Bill Cat, I want you to be my son's godson, you know, godfather. So he's the godfather of Jake Busey. And so, so, so like, oh, my God, we're going to have Jake Busey from Starship Troopers? Holy God, this is amazing. And what does Bill Cat do? You know, he's like, hold on. You, you know what? I'm going to help you out, too. Makes a phone call. You got Clint Howard, and you're like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, my God, Clint Howard's going to be in the movie, too. So, you know, it's like, he's, he's talking, you know, this is what an executive producer does when you, when you, when you, when you, when you, when you win Cat. You know, that's that's your role, Dex, is, is is impressive. Absolutely, absolutely. All those years in the business. I mean, that's uh, and also this uh, this question out to uh, William. How how has the the how has show business changed since you started? Oh my God! Um, let me throw it out to some of the younger people here on the line. Daniel, what do you think about that? <laughs> I I don't know. Um it it's it it's it's changed a lot and it's stayed the same. It's uh the uh-huh. you know uh the the music and the uh the 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 messages have stayed the same. It's always about exploring the human condition but the delivery systems have changed and that's that's what's changed the most. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're down to about uh, about five minutes left. So here's uh, your chance, Chris or Daniel, if you want to chime in, to uh, how we can get tickets, all the logistics for uh, where this is going to be seen, how fans can keep up with you, and the whole thing. So go. Well, the, the the best thing right now is if you want, if you would like to come out tomorrow night, it's at 9 p.m. at the uh, you know at the Alamo Draft House Cinema, and it's going to be at the uh, Ashburn Theater, and you're going to have a great time with the special Q and A, and some other special prizes going on too that night. And then uh, another way you can see the film right now, it's it is uh, it, if you don't want to come out and see it in a wonderful projection, two K. 5.1 with William Cat there next to you. Uh, then you can always get it right now tonight on iTunes. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it at Walmart as a DVD. And you can even get it on DirecTV on Channel 150 right now. And the uh, other thing, too, is wonderful that you can do is, uh, if you want, on um, is the graphic novel is also available on Amazon. And, uh, you know, we're just, we're just, you know, if you want to follow us, we're, we're on uh, Facebook at Sparks Movie. And also, too, our regular website is um, called sparksmovie.com. Fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm going to be there tomorrow night. I'm really looking. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, oh, good. I'm back. My call had dropped. Yeah, you're back. You're back. Hey, Daniel, talk about this. Well, that's what happens when you don't pay for minutes. Daniel, <laughs> you know what? It, it, I'm on an actor's budget, so so I was going to say real quick. This the the difference between film before and film now is uh, uh, we get to write scripts on these things called laptops, and before it was these stone tablets uh, that they would write the scripts on, and 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 it was very very primitive. 
Um, I, I don't envy uh, my my acting and production forefathers just for that. Yeah, um, I, I heard that, so. I heard there was a report back in the day they had uh, producers like uh, a guy named Fred Flintstone, I think. Back in yeah, the day, you know what? Was he, was, he was kind of a douche. I, I didn't like Fred uh, very much. Uh, Barney Rubble, on the other hand, stand-up guy, really, really stand-up guy. Yeah. Went on to make his own cereal called Fruity Pebbles, and uh, you know, just was a really. Uh, Really ingenious individual. Um, I, I'll, I'll just chime in real quick because I know our time is up here. Uh, I, I want to thank yeah. you, William, for having us on to promote Sparks. Uh, I myself am, le- am leaving the DMV area. I'm moving and packing up to California. So uh, uh, I hope uh, I get to meet some of the people who I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, this is a fantastic movie. You're going to love it. You're going to love meeting these people. And I hope to get a chance to see everybody before I go. And uh, also want to plug, of course, Ninjas vs. Monsters uh, coming soon. Uh, You're Dead, directed by Jay Spence, as well as Z-Con uh, coming up this summer, uh, which is a, uh, 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 a zombie film uh, for the whole family, uh, which will be done for charity. So if you haven't gotten involved with Z-Con yet, Mike Doherty's Z-Con, uh, please look us up online and uh, get involved, because that's going to be a really big one coming to this area. So... Uh, thank you again, William, for, for having us. Chris, Bill, I uh, look forward to seeing you guys yep. tomorrow. And uh, please come see us, guys. This is an awesome movie. Yeah, and Daniel, I just really want to thank you. Great, great kudos, my brother, for bringing everybody together. I know you uh, you, you contacted me like at the 11th hour here. I said, i got to bring you on because, I mean, it, uh, you know, you, this was an added on segment, and I really scrambled to like, pull it all together and, get all the questions and everything, but Daniel, you really, you really came through it and made it work. And also, uh, William, I just want to thank, uh, thank you for your insightful comments. And, and Chris, I uh, just want to thank you as well. And I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, I wish you guys a, a, a hell of an opening tomorrow and a fantastic rest of the week. Well, Thank, thank you. Thank you very much, William, for the opportunity. Thank very, you. very much. And, and to everyone out there, too, we we, we're definitely looking forward to coming out tomorrow. And, and, and again, it's uh, been an incredible uh, uh, opportunity, and we, we really greatly appreciate uh, appreciate it. So thank you, Daniel, too, as well. Okay, uh, definitely want to have you. Nice. Definitely want to have you guys on again. As long as we definitely. can come on, and no, Daniel Ross will be on the phone because I just feel like you know, his Fred <laughs> reference was completely you rude. You guys have a. You guys have an open. The three of you have an open invite anytime, anytime. Okay, because I you know thought what, you were going to say we have an open invite. I'll tell you what. When we out. when we get the yeah, sequel together, when we get the sequel together, and and we bring Matanza back, is that a spoiler? No, that's not a spoiler. When we get the sequel together, you're going to get first in. Come on, come on. That had to be before <laughs> then. Come on, don't be strangers. Okay, hey, would you guys have a? Yeah. Okay, well, you guys have a great night, okay? Uh, see you tomorrow. Yeah, bye-bye. We'll do. Okay, bye-bye. And I want to leave uh, my, my listeners out there with this quote, which I always say, do something for your career every day and break a leg. Good night. Thank you.